welcome to your rockstar podcast show a podcast to understand personal success stories from successful people each month we'll cover topics on achievements and technology so let's dive in in today's podcast we'll talk about harshbart who is ceo at game marketing genie first of all thanks to harsh for taking his time to speak with us today so harsh please give us a brief outline of your career so far well i am uh, 27 years old turning 28 next year and i started off my career probably after university during university i was very bored with most of the things in school i always daydreamed a lot i had uh, trouble you know behaving myself etc mm-hmm. however i quickly started finding myself fitting in in uh, startup meetings watching other founders pitch and eventually i found a founder that had a very interesting mission which was to uh, monetize the data of other people by having an app that consensually collects your data and then sells in sites and gives you part of that money ultimately this idea ended up not working 2 years down the road because of the incident with Cambridge Analytica and the social media API access is getting cut off from Instagram, Facebook and several other places. Mm-hmm. What I did achieve there was I broke a record on Facebook advertising along with my co-founder and current CEO Kira. Mm-hmm. And this and this was a 10 cent per install campaign on a one star rated app for purchasing at uh, 99 cents. Basically, it was an app that featured a lot of celebrities and you could compare your personality to it. So we did a very very interesting targeting campaign where we would take uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and target him to soccer fans and Manchester United fans and we would take Eminem and market and market him to hip hop fans and it would just create a lot of buzz from there i decided that the company had to change direction so i started working in a position where i was leading their data science team to build a marketing technology product this project went successfully and that was the first of their many apps that they make the company is called PI Exchange if you're interested from there i uh, moved on i had a good amount of savings having um spent 3 years there and i self funded bootstrap two person startup we struggled quite a bit in the early days because we grew very fast and we weren't ready for the success so we started to take on clients that were in the 1000 10000 plus headcount category mm-hmm. in Korea and in the US and we hired a team that had almost no experience so this meant the co-founder and I had to stay up all night working out exactly how to service these guys and we completely neglected being able to work on our own brand building mm-hmm. this was actually one of the biggest mistakes even though it sounds like a good thing you get some big customers so what we did was we took a step back we stopped working with big enterprises and we started building up with the SMVs. I've always been of the mindset that marketing and sales is a numbers game and one of the things that I really enjoy about the SMB market is that you're not ever too reliant on one single big enterprise. The other thing we found was that gave us time to actually recruit the right team. One of the best pieces of advice I can give from my learnings is hire the right team even if it costs you money if you're starting a business because there's no replacement for good talent in your company yeah. um at the end of the day if your team isn't strong your company isn't a startup it's just a consultancy yeah. of you alone from there we managed to actually win over some pretty big enterprise clients looking one year on from having all these struggles and we 
slowly grew to a team of about 15. After that, we established a sub-brand called Growth Marketing Genie because Game Marketing Genie was focused on the gaming industry and the esports industry and the entertainment industry. So, and a little bit of gamification, adding employee motivational stuff to software, stuff like that. What Growth Marketing Genie does is it combines data science with marketing to enable insights and automation. So if you want a, a website to look like a e-commerce platform that almost operates the way, like the way Netflix's um, films does mm. do, right? Yep. Uh, you get recommended what the algorithm thinks you want to see. So we help people build these kind of web experiences uh, with Growth Marketing Genie. And we're also very focused on inbound marketing, marketing automation. The next thing I did was my co-founder and I came up with this idea of combining influencer marketing with the uh, data-driven real-time approach that is often used in advertising. We secured a fair amount of funding from someone on the Singapore Stock Exchange Advisory Board. And from there, we went on and doubled this team size, brought on about seven data scientists, very good statisticians, because we're really aiming to change the influencer market by democratizing it and making it a place that is accessible to small influencers with up to with as low as 1,000 followers, all the way up to big celebrities. Mm -hmm. This is a system we're very excited to be launching at the end of the year. So it's been a lot of hard work this year, but it's it's very important for, I think, a service company to do in today's age mm -hmm. that once you find a gap in the market, you should take advantage of it and try to productize it. Yep. That's my life until now. I've made a lot of mistakes while running this business and had many good times running this business, but I don't regret a second of it. So, so basically these days, the, the, the landscape is, is changing from the product companies. Companies are changing to the services companies. I heard this uh, from one of my colleagues. This, this company, Mercedes-Benz. So how we buy the cars uh, right away these days, and they are putting those cars as services. So basically you can buy off a car for a year, pay for the year as a rent or something and then you you can you can drive the car and uh, you can you can leave the car after one year so instead of buying the car one off it will be done as a service i think that's more um talking about the uh sharing industry right yes. so the the ability to not have to own something to enjoy it so that's how the landscape is changing you know so everything is a part of the landscape but We've actually worked with a couple of companies in the space of timeshare models for different expensive items, luxury cars, especially. We worked with one that did it for Maserati with our brand Growth Marketing Genie. And one of the things we found was there was a very clear divide between half the market that just doesn't do it and half the market that loves to do it. Yep. And I think it's a thing where a lot of people are divided. Similar to, I think, you know, before Spotify was around, there was a big debate over whether do people need to own their music or can they borrow their music whenever they want to listen to it and stream yeah, it. Yeah. I think today Spotify has answered that question. Mm -hmm. But I think from where we sit today, it's still not fully proliferated, but I think we're going to see it tilt in that direction. From what, what I mean by um, productizing is more if you're able to provide the same level of customization, service, and ability. However, you're able to utilize machine learning technologies or data-driven technologies to enhance the experience so you're not doing it manually. You can just do the same thing with one-fourth of the labor. And that, that's um, kind of the area we're focusing on when we talk about productizing. Less so the sharing economy. I think the sharing economy is 
a wonderful opportunity. And in that sense, I do agree people are more experiential than product driven today in the B2C world, especially. Yeah, And given the fact that everything is achievable in the cloud, you don't have to put your own IT infrastructure. You don't have to put your own servers. You can run because IT is as a service these days. You can run everything in the Absolutely. cloud. You don't have to hire expensive engineers to build the racks and doing all that stuff, Absolutely. which is which is why and a lot of software providers that purely deliver the software and don't provide a good service on top of it, the onboarding, the customer service management, the guides, all of that generally don't make it as far. It's just a pattern we've seen when we've worked with software companies. And and Hush, tell us like what are the best resources that have helped you so far along the way? I think some of the best resources is my first one and my favorite one is to learn from your mistakes and fail quickly. So if you think something is going to work, test it in a market like I'll give you an example, Perth. It's very removed from the world. If it's received negatively, you're not going to get too much of a lashback. However, you can you can very quickly uh, validate an idea if you see something working. Apart from that, the resources I like to use are generally I love reading up on successful serial entrepreneurs. Now, I'm not I'm not in support of everything people like Peter Thiel might say, but I do think he has a fantastic book called From Zero to One that has impacted me a lot, which basically talks about how enterprises are going trying to go from one to ninety nine. But a startup's job in its first year or two is to go from zero to one and what it takes to kind of make that breakthrough and how your role as a CEO is going to be different when you first start running a business and as it grows into the 10 plus headcount category. And then it's going to change again when you get to the 20 plus headcount category. Basically means don't work on the business, work in your business. So when when you try to grow the business, you have to delegate delegate the tasks. Uh, so basically, which means you have to do all the strategic tasks by yourself, but you can delegate some of the repetitive tasks. And leading from your question. I think one of the things a lot of founders struggle with is giving up that control. I actually struggled with it too, coming from a marketing background and running a marketing company. But you have to realize that unless, if you hire people you think are smart and, and make sure they're smart, don't just hire anyone then you need to give them room to succeed and fail. So as long as you're developing, you you can put up with it. I do think that as a founder, we generally do fall into the trap of overanalyzing situations. And so one of the culture codes I put in place to try and avoid that myself and avoid that in the team is always take a bias for taking action over indecision. And I also like your idea where you say fail fast which basically translate to this this idea, which basically says, don't let perfect enemy of good. So if you're waiting for perfect, which is never going to happen, it's going to happen, but by the time you're too late to to test your idea. So, uh, which is good. Absolutely. Which is good. And um, I, think, I think the first product you put out, it's okay to be a bit embarrassed by it. As long as you're, we, we work in, we work in all in agile environments now in the tech world, we release a new patch every week. Mm-hmm. So, don't worry too much about putting out a weak product. What people really want to see mm. the progress. Yeah. People want to see a product that's not complete yet, but the framework is there. Yeah. And then every week something new gets added in. Yeah. That's what really makes people excited to come yeah. And it gives you motivation. You're not doing something you're seeing in front of you. And technology has made it possible uh, to do it. Like the process we're talking about is DevOps. 
you can you can push out push out the things like within a minutes or well, you don't have to wait for months and, and months I, I, on top of that you also start to gather real feedback and analytics on your users yes. so you see where your drop off is you can ask them why they're dropping off what don't they like what do they like and you know when your your customers can start informing your decisions you're very quickly going to start solving their pain points yes 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 and and her what are your role models like you follow any role models that's good and i think is a business genius i like i said i like peter thiel not in not in a very personal role model way but as a pure serial entrepreneur i have a love hate relationship with elon musk i think he's 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 got good intentions but he's a bit more of a dreamer but he does achieve some big things mm. and you have to give him props for that so I'm 50/50 on him. I think Steve Jobs obviously changed the way everything happens. Every website has looked minimalistic was created by him. Simplicity was really something he drove forward that I still live by. The other people I really look up to are some growth hackers who are people who specialize in just acquiring customers at a positive price point. There's a great guy who actually got banned from LinkedIn called uh, Josh Fretcher, I think. because he was writing things in a very mobile optimized way on LinkedIn when he made posts and it started getting so viral that LinkedIn considered it an abuse of the system now i'm not telling you guys to go get banned on LinkedIn but you know apparently how he did it i read a blog post was he would make a post and if in 3 minutes he didn't get at least 20 likes he would delete it and make another post and he kept doing that until he got basically the formula for making a successful post Yeah, it is. But it also shows that you always want to be testing things. You never you never want to sit stagnant. And and that's where I think it feeds back into failing fast. And and it is like rightly said they say still water gets stagnant. Uh, basically you don't have to be stand still otherwise you get stagnant. You have to be so as an entrepreneur it is a, it is the learning is a journey. It's not a destination. You have to keep keep learning. And um, if you ever feel you're done learning, I think you're done being a successful entrepreneur. Yes, yes. And and going back to this story from Steve Jobs, I I, I read his um, uh, biography and it was saying he was such a perfectionist that Apple sign they made. He was such a perfectionist. I think it was saying it cost them I think around one billion dollars something to make that uh, to make that logo. uh for some reasons he was not liking the sign of apple the cut on uh, the designer is making he he spent lot of money in making that sign the apple sign itself <laughs> so that was some from the one of the um, biography i read from his book so moving ahead uh, harsh hmm, uh, interesting <laughs> yeah yeah so i read that book it was about steve jobs um, I- I I did I did listen to the audiobook a uh, couple uh, it was quite a while back. I I I find it hard to relate to obviously as um a startup owner even though we do marketing for enterprises as a startup owner it's I can't ever picture myself at this level paying that much for a logo but money is relative right depending on how big you are or how much you have I think he was very passionate and he was very perfectionist that that's the way the Apple uh, iPhone is made it won't uh, it, it won't open to anything like Android and that's why it is one of the secure phone and secure operating system as of now and with uh, you're, you're correct about that that's why a lot of our customers from the gaming industry when they make apps they 
always go Android first because the i, I the iOS store or the um, App Store will reject them unless it's uh, up to a certain quality standard. Yep, yep, makes sense, makes sense. And and Harsh, like, what turns you on? I mean, there are no roses and sunshines every day. Sometimes we feel down. Sometimes we feel very motivated. All the days are not same. So what what turns you on? You 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 listen to any motivational music or read books? What keeps you up? That's a really good question. I think you, when you mention music, it's interesting. One of the artists I love listening to when things are rough is Eminem, just because he has really motivational music. I energizing when also when I feel agitated or irritable or a bit frustrated with the situation. I'm normally not the kind of person who gets down. I'm the kind of person who gets a bit. I'm not an angry person either. I just get a bit like, and that's when I just kind of go for a walk. I ha- I used to have the bad habit of smoking, which I've now quit for like three weeks. So that used to be how I used to deal with it. Now it's more, I walk around and then chew nicotine gum. So it's a bit tough these days, but I, I want to live long. So I've quit smoking. And I think it, it really is stressful to be a founder. You don't underestimate that. There's a lot of ups and downs. Those moments where you're waiting for that big client contract to come back, or are they going to have one more problem? Or some lead you've been doing account-based marketing to for months doesn't finally convert. And I think what's important is to structure your business in a way that if you, if bad things happen, it has to be a lot of bad things at the same time to completely ruin your business. Yep, yep. And and like successful business, it doesn't run on tricks and gimmicks. It is sheer hard work and sacrifice which which made it successful. I agree. I think I was of the view when I first started this business that marketing could overcome weak product. And yes, you may get a great acquisition metric, but the retention is not there. The monetization is not there. The uh, community is not there. The virality and word of mouth is not there. Uh, So you're absolutely right. You can't just keep paying for your user base. You have to be good enough that eventually you're organically winning it over. Yeah. Or, Or you're retaining well enough that it's worth paying for it. One of the two. And I'm leading to another question from 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 this conversation on marketing. So basically, if your marketing is poor, I don't think so. I don't think you can survive the market because marketing is everything. If you're not going out on Facebook or LinkedIn or emails or mouth to mouth to other people, nobody will know you. So I was reading, yeah, I was reading this article from Microsoft. They have done this. They they ran this campaign. Uh, I think with 500 Fortune companies, and they said they like they will they try to allocate 20% of their budget in marketing to be in the to be in the market to be successful company so marketing is very essential and basically digital marketing i mean to say yes i was going to add that on because i read a statistic that since 2018 50 plus percent of tech companies spend more on marketing technology than their products technology with all these enterprise systems we use, personalization models we use, enterprise ad systems we have like Google 360 suite and all of that. But at the end of the day, you can make the greatest product ever. And it's a pity, but no one will ever know about it if you can't put it in front of people in the right way or you can't entice people to come and try it. And you think about it, Windows, Windows 7, Windows 8, they're not as good as the Linux products or Macintosh or the Apple product, but the marketing has made these 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 operating systems, these products so popular 
that they are in yes, they are marketing everywhere. and distribution absolutely yeah, it's, it's all, it's all steve uh, it's all uh, what's his name what's his name Bummer? owner of microsoft <laughs> bill gates his whole is marketing Bummer. strategy you know yeah <laughs> yeah i believe the microsoft's new i'm blanking here his name the new ceo there is doing a fantastic job with microsoft i think microsoft yes yeah, yes yes yeah so i think he's doing an absolutely great job i think he's made a lot of driven a lot of change there i think he's made it a company that I once again look up to as a tech giant. I I was starting to lose that feeling in the mid 2010s early part. The up until maybe like 2015 I was starting to lose that feeling a little bit. So basically I I listened to his few of his conversations over YouTube, his his interviews. He made uh, Microsoft as a cloud company. So yeah, uh, cloud is his motto. So see how much uh, new inventions and new things he put in the cloud. So basically he was saying cloud is the way and I think he made cloud training essential for every employee I heard of it I think I maybe I was listening to one of his um, interviews he made it essential I don't think that's wrong or at least being able to if you're a Microsoft employee you need to be able to explain in an elevator pitch what the cloud is how it works what it does what advantages it gives it it's very it it it's great that you keep mentioning that because one thing that blew my mind was we have a consumer database of about 2.4 billion people that we use for generating insights for our clients. Our data scientist was telling me the other day if this was before cloud technologies were available or if cloud technology disappeared, we would need a nine-story building to store this amount of information. Today we're paying a couple of thousand dollars per month to store it. And that's such a game changer in technology. It's like you don't need to buy gold to have gold and it it's almost changes that way. Yep. And that's why we're growing. You don't have to and that is pay as you go. You you can stop it when you need it. So you're turning your yes. capex into opex. You don't have to have capital expenditure to buy to buy or to service all those data whenever you don't want it. I have a good finance head of finance. Finance is not my strength, but I do agree that So I'm not I'm familiar with capex but not so much opex as a term. However, I am very very pro, you know, cloud technologies. I believe I I do think there's still space for hard drives and technologies that operate locally, but it's only to run operations because operations get expensive on the cloud. But storage, the cloud is the number one solution. I I know this terms because I'm techy and uh, I'm not in well. So when we talk to decision maker they talk to talk us these terms can I I don't want my capital expenditure give us a solution which make us more agile which make us yes. more efficient and we want to cap our we want to cut our capital expenditure cost so as a cloud architect we have to understand these terms although we are not in in, in the finance field a uh, quick explanation of uh, opex it is operational cost so opex is right. operational right. cost yeah so capex is capital ex I just don't know the buzzwords uh but I I I know what it means yeah. And 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 Harsh, how how do you define your success? I don't know whether I would say I'm a success or not yet. I have done things that have succeeded and I've done things that haven't. I think from an outsider's view it to to the vast majority it may look like I've succeeded to some extent. However, I think success is hard to define, right? And I think I think what may keeps me hungry to keep going forward is not feeling like I've achieved my full potential yet or or our full full potential as a company. I think I would define myself as I would define success as having more responsibility. Like 
I know it's from Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. And I, I do agree with that because as the team grows bigger, you have more and more families relying on you to make the right decisions. Uh, if you make stupid decisions at times like coronavirus, you're going to be dead and you, your team members are not going to be able to feed their families. So it's really about being able to handle that responsibility that I think is quite, it's quite empowering, but at the same time, it's, it's sort of where I think you have that empathy-driven leadership that you need to have in um, today's world because smart people have thousands of options in terms of where to work. Like what I listen from or read from the books, like smart people, they don't, some smart people, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. They are so smart, but they're sitting in their comfort zone from nine to five uh, job. But if they can push themselves and they want to be entrepreneur, they can do some big inventions. It's just the matter of the fact that they don't want to come, off the, come out of their comfort zone. They're happy with the nine to five salary coming into the account. <laughs> what I mean? So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think my mindset was very much like that when I was uh, in university. If I hadn't run into the startup world, maybe I would have been like that. But it's just my first job was in a startup and I saw the impact I could have if I just did the extra few hours, pulled that late night and got the job done. And I saw myself moving up in my career because of that. And so that's one of the things that really changed me. And the other thing was then hiring people who are truly motivated. So you keep having to step it up to lead by example and it makes them better. It makes you better. Yeah. I, I generally think that if, if you, if you are a nine to five worker, you're not going to get that life in a startup. Startups need to hustle a little bit to keep up with the big business until they reach a certain point. And you, you need, you need to have a courage, you know, running a successful business is not going to hundred percent. It's like, the statistics shows that it's like 5 to 10% success. So it's, you need a big courage to decide that you're going to quit a job and you want to start you, you want to start your own. Yeah, it was actually, I'll tell you an interesting story. I had a, about two to three months after I started the company, I got a call from a recruiter at Google to head up their Asian marketing department for their uh, launch of a gaming product, which now we know is the Stadia, I think. I thought about it for a couple of hours and I said, what? I've committed now. I have a responsibility. I can't, I can't not do it now because I've hired people. I've, I've, I've put money into this. I've come up with what I believe is going to be a very successful idea. And yeah, they're quite persistent, but I had to actually uh, say, no, I, I've made the decision to kind of do this. So I think and I think the older you get, the bigger the opportunity cost will get. Because at, at 23, starting a startup wasn't that difficult. But at, and that's when I did, 24 maybe, yeah, that's when I did start the, this business. However, as if you get to your 30s and 40s, when you're earning a good 200,000 or six-figure salary, you're living a comfortable, nice life, the opportunity cost just grows and grows and grows. And that's why my advice is always, if, if you one day, if you're the kind of person who says, I one day want to be an entrepreneur, do it as early in your career as possible. And you'll learn so much even if you fail. Yep. And I was reading on to that one in a book. They, they, they get a data out of, they, they did a survey and they put out these statistics. Uh, although mm. you start early in your career as, as an entrepreneur, but the most successful people which started their life, I think between 30 to 30, no, 35 to 40, they are the, the most successful entrepreneurs. But I agree with you as well. The earlier, the better. 
But the people who tried late, they were saying that they get. I came across the same article, uh, Baljeet, because I remember seeing this as well, and I was a bit surprised at that. And and my view is this: I think you're better equipped at 35 to run a startup. Sure, you've seen more things, but it's harder emotionally to start a startup. But I mean, like, it's hard to say, especially if you have a family and kids relying on you. I think I think the I think the reason this statistic is there is because. If you start a business at 35 to 40, you have already gotten some validation that it's going to work or you have the contacts that will make sure it's going to work because you know the, the momentum against you is so strong if you have a good job and you're a smart person emotionally speaking like it's a hard leap to make so yeah as it is said bigger the risk bigger the reward simple as that so absolutely it is it is absolutely true and one last one harsh what advice would you like to give to someone who want to pursue a similar similar careers like yours well i'll give two pieces of advice one to be a, be an entrepreneur from a marketing background and one general advice as an entrepreneur my general advice would be don't expect instant results don't hire until you need it and both those things go in tandem you'll often find young young founders that i've spoken to get get a fair bit of funding and they go and hire roles i would say start the company with own even if you're funding only you and your co-founders and when it really hurts hire one more high quality person and when that hurts hire one more high quality person this is a mistake i personally made and that's why i think it's a very valuable insight to share because we would have burnt a lot less money in our early days if we had done it this way. But the other thing would be always hire people who are past the point where they need training to do their job. As a startup, you're not going to be able to train employees. If you're interviewing someone and they want to come into the job because they want to learn, it's good. But if they want to just learn and they can't contribute yet, don't don't bet on them learning because you're already betting on starting something new. and you're already against the odds. I would say hire people who can get the job done or deal with the pain until you get there because doing it half-heartedly is going to result in the worst situation. My advice to marketing background founders is also coming from one of my mistakes. It's very common for marketing founders to believe that I've done many successful marketing campaigns in the past and this one's going to be easy. The difference is you aren't looking at the finances and the operations and the people management while you were running marketing. You were really just looking at the marketing. You were looking at metrics that will not matter in a startup, like brand equity and market share. It's not important in a startup. In a startup what's important is 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 the cash flow correct? Is the are you able to acquire at a profitable price point so it's it's very acquisition focused you're not you're not trying to be a coca-cola where you're building this you're trying to brainwash four-year-old kids from a young age to love coke and think of happy things when they see coke you're actually trying to get them to just come and buy the coke as quickly as possible because that's what's going to keep you alive and 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 that switch of mindset it's difficult but you have to make it to be successful because I used to always focus on brand building because every time you build your brand the sales person people will have an easier time selling your product. But the problem becomes 
if you spend your budget on brand building and not on generating leads or conversions or sales, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot because once people have experienced something good in your product, it, you're, you're ready to build a brand. But until you've hit the point of, I believe Sean Ellis, one of another person who I would strongly recommend people listen to, is says, if you ask your customers, how much would it hurt if I took this product away from you? And more than 40% of them say a lot, then you have a product that is ready to scale. And thanks, thanks a lot uh, for taking your time to speak with us today, Harsh, and have a nice day and we'll speak soon. No worries, Baljeet. Thank you very much. I hope you stay safe and I hope everyone around you stays safe to anyone listening to this. Thanks, man. Likewise. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you have extra minute, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. I did love to connect with you. Please let me know your biggest takeaways in this episode and tag me at sam at cloudsolutionit.com.au in your social media post or DM me to help me serve you better. Talk to you soon. Thank you.